You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. to say thank you. I worship to say you're great, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. We sang it, you're beautiful. Gaze into his face, gaze into his eyes and tell him how beautiful and wonderful he is. That's worship. Not thinking that, well, you know, if I worship him, I'll get this or I'll get that. No, that's not the whole thing. We can worship God in a public setting like we just did. We can proclaim him through prayer, adoration and thankfulness to him for what he has done. Worship is felt inwardly. What is true worship? Is there only one way you can worship God? What is your motivation to worship God? As Christians, we are to renew our minds in God's Word so we can worship Him in spirit and in truth in everything we do. Today, Pastor Dave explains to us the real meaning of true worship to God. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 12 as he begins his message, Waste or Worship? Please turn to John chapter 12, John chapter 12. And as we now come into this section of the gospel of John, from now until the end of the gospel of John, some nine more chapters, this is exciting stuff. We get into the really meat of God's word. We see some incredible things and we hear some incredible stuff from Jesus Christ. So it's really important that we are attentive to his word, look to his word and glean from it all that we possibly can as we now begin this time in the gospel of John. If you found your way to chapter 12, I'm going to read aloud the first 11 verses, if you would follow along silently, please. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrance not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have, but me you do not always, or do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews who knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed. So let me start off this morning by asking a question. What is true worship? What 
is true worship. Now, I believe that worship can take on many forms. But I also believe that the Apostle Paul gave us a true description of worship in his epistle or his letter to the church in Rome, specifically in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read that for you. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what it is that is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. In this passage, I see all the elements needed for worship. All the elements needed for us to worship our Lord. And the first element I see is motivation. What motivates you to worship? What motivates your heart to worship our wonderful creator, our loving and living God? Well, Paul writes that our motivation should be none other than the mercies of God. God has poured out that which we do not deserve. He has poured out his blessing mercies upon all of his children and all of the world, but the, some of the world hasn't accepted yet. We see God's hand in everything. We see God's mercy in everything. He has given us that which we don't deserve. Listen to the list that I've come up with. Eternal love, eternal grace, the Holy Spirit, everlasting peace, eternal joy, saving faith, comfort, strength, wisdom, hope, patience, kindness, Honor, glory, righteousness, security, eternal life, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, freedom, intercession. Need I go on? The Lord has given us all this in salvation too. So we have so much motivation to declare his worth. So much motivation to say, thank you, Lord, in a worship setting. So much our heart is overflowing with such joy and such peace that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship. Passage also tells us the manner in which we should worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And presenting our bodies simply means that giving everything we have to God giving everything we are to God, not holding back anything, giving everything we are to him. It's all yours, Lord. I belong to you. You have bought me with a price, and that price was your own dear blood. So I give everything back to you. And the reference here means that all our human facilities or all our human faculties, all our humanness, for lack of a better term, our hearts, our minds, our hands, our thoughts, our attitudes, we present them to God. We present them to God, and this becomes worship, and we turn them all over to him. It's a literal sacrifice. It's a literal sacrifice that we totally place on the altar before our God. Here, Lord, these are yours. I give you everything I am. It's yours. And why shouldn't we? Hasn't he given everything of him to us? He laid it all on the line for us, did he not? Did he not give us everything he had on the cross, laying down his dear life? How do we do this? Again, the passage is clear, by the renewing of your mind. We do this by the renewing of our mind. We renew our minds daily by cleansing them. We get rid of the world's wisdom. We get rid of the world's ways. We get rid of those things and we replace that. We replace that with the true wisdom that comes from God. 
The true wisdom that God gives. We worship him with our renewed mind, our cleansed minds, not with our emotions. Emotions are wonderful things, and God has given them to us to have, to use, to enjoy. We saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus had emotion. He wept at the death of Lazarus. He wept for various reasons. Jesus showed emotion. Emotions are good, but they can be destructive. When we bank on our emotions, we can find ourselves in problems. When we go by our emotions, we find ourselves in trouble. Where the mind goes, the will follows, and the emotions come later. So we keep them in check with our renewed mind to the truth of Jesus Christ. We keep them in check. The only way to renew our minds, the Word of God. The only way we can renew our minds is by the Word of God, because it is the truth. And we renew our minds with the knowledge of the Word of God, and the knowledge of where his mercies begin, which takes us right back to the beginning, the mercies of God. We renew our minds to him, to know the truth, to believe the truth, to hold the convictions of the truth, to love with truth, which will naturally result in true spiritual worship. Conviction followed by affection. Affection is that response to the truth. It's not an external, it's not an external stimuli. Like music, and there's nothing wrong with music. We love music, but music stirs up what? Emotion. Music stirs up emotion, and we need to be careful what we're worshiping for. But it also can be an expression of what we do. Don't look to music to induce your worship. That doesn't induce your worship. Knowledge of God, knowledge of his word, that's what brings about worship. That's what brings about true worship. Music is simply an expression that we use because our hearts are overwhelmed by him. And we have our, what we call, it flows forth by realizing the mercies of God. True worship is God-centered. True worship is centered on God, nothing else. God and God alone is where our true worship belongs. Too many of us, especially this time of the year, worship football teams. Too many of us worship other things instead of God, where we need to be worshiping God, for he alone is worthy of that worship. He alone is worthy. That list that I read you of his mercies should tell us that He's alone only worthy of our worship because we worship because that's where we get those things. Focusing on other things, including people, you miss the point. You miss the point. Focusing on our worship team, focusing on them, you're missing the point. See, because I believe it's their job to help you focus on God. Not them. It's not a show. It's not entertainment. It's not entertainment. That which flows forth by realizing the mercies of God and being obedient to God helps us to worship him. Worship should be God-centered. Jesus told the woman at the well that we must worship him in spirit and in truth. This means that we worship from the heart. We worship totally from the heart, the way that God has designed us. It can include praying. Worship can include reading his word. It can include having an open heart, singing a song to him, just Raising up and singing a song to him, participating in communion, which is what we're going to do later on today. It could be witnessing to others and serving others. This is all part of worship. This is why I said worship comes in different forms. It comes in different avenues. It's not limited to one act, but if you're done properly, when the heart and the attitude match and are in the right place. It's so important that, to remember that worship 
is reserved only for God because he alone is worthy of our worship. Don't worship saints, prophets, statues, angels, or any false gods. We also should not be worshiping with the expectation of receiving something. I don't worship to get. I've already got. I've got everything that God can give me. I've received it through Jesus Christ. Read your word. I've received it. I don't worship to get anything. I worship to say thank you. I worship to say you're great. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. We sang it. You're beautiful. Gaze into his face. Gaze into his eyes and tell him how beautiful and wonderful he is. That's worship. Not thinking that, well, you know, if I worship him, I'll get this or I'll get that. No, that's not the whole thing. We can worship God in a public setting like we just did. We can proclaim him through prayer, adoration, and thankfulness to him for what he has done. Worship is felt inwardly. It's something that happens in your heart, and your heart just wells up, and it's almost like, I can't keep quiet. I got to praise my God. I got to say, thank you, Lord. I got to thank you, Jesus. Don't worship out of obligation because this displeases God. God doesn't like it when we worship out of obligation because this is a vain thing, and it is hip, hip. Causes hypocrisy. True worship is not confined to what we just did. True worship is not confined to what we did. We walk in a state of worship. We walk in a state of worship. And all those things are good. What we just did is great and is wonderful. We're told to do that in the Bible. True worship is the acknowledgement of God and all his power. True worship is an acknowledgement of who he is. And then what he has done. The highest form of praise and worship is being obedient to his word. Trusting in him. To do this, we must know that God's word is important. Worship is to glorify and exalt God, to show him our loyalty and our admiration. I told you that because in today's verses, we see several acts of true worship. We see several acts of true worship. One act through service, one act through witnessing, and one act through giving. So as we look at today's verses, we see that it's six days before the Passover, probably a Saturday night. Jesus has left the town of Ephraim, and he's now making his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. He knows his time is now. He knows it has now come. Remember how many times did we study where Jesus said, it's not my time. It's not my time. Well, he knows it's his time. The time is now. And he's making his way to Jerusalem like all good male Jewish people do to celebrate the Feast of Passover. He's making his way to Jerusalem with his disciples. He also knows that the religious leaders want to kill him. They've put out an APB. Remember that? All points bulletin. They put out an APB on Jesus. His picture is hanging in every post office. They're looking for him. They know if anyone sees him, you got to report him to us because we're going to get him. And that's the word on the street. That's the APB. He's out there. He knows it's his time. So he travels to Bethany once again. Let's read verse 1. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. So Jesus travels once again to Bethany. And as he goes to Bethany, on his way to Jerusalem, they have a supper for him. They have a dinner for him. 
And it's almost like it's a celebration of Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's almost like a, this celebration. And Jesus attends this very special supper. Look at verse 2. There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Interesting. Now, there's some controversy as to where this took place. John doesn't say where it took place. However, if you look at the synoptic gospels of Matthew and Mark, they say that this dinner took place at Simon the leper. And they clearly say it took place at Simon the leper. John does not say where the meal took place. Mark and, John, Mark and Matthew say that it took place two days before the Passover, where John says six days before the Passover. Most of the scholars generally agree that John is more chronological than Matthew and Mark, so they're going with the six days before, although they don't know what house it's at. But when you look at it and you piece the accounts together, you get a pretty clear picture of what happened that night. It's interesting that through verse 2, we already see the first two forms of worship that I mentioned. In verse 2, we see the first forms of of worship. Martha served, and Lazarus was sitting at the table. Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha the worker bee. But what did it say? Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Martha. But there's a different about Martha. There's something different about Martha. She's serving the Lord. She's serving the Lord, and she's probably in the kitchen humming and worshiping and having a great time, because what is she not doing? She's not complaining. She's not murmuring. She's not murmuring about someone else's walk. Look at Mary. She hasn't helped me at all. No, she's not worried about that anymore. Something happened in, Mar in Martha's heart. This is true worship, worship by serving. She is serving others while serving her Lord. And she's doing it out of the goodness of the, her heart because of what the Lord has done for her. See the difference? She's not serving out of obligation. She's serving because Christ has served her. Christ died for her. So she's giving back because she loves him. She's giving back because the Lord loves her so much. And I like this. I think this is great. She's no longer complaining. Serving Jesus by serving others. Serving with the intent of honoring Jesus, not for appearances, not for status. Look what I did. Not for status or appearances. Simply serving out of love and devotion for Jesus. That's why she was doing it. Love and devotion for Jesus. And this is true worship, folks. When you do all things as unto the Lord, like the scripture says, you are worshiping Jesus through serving. Through serving. You're serving someone not to get something from them. You're serving someone just to share the love of the Lord with them. This is worship from the heart. Serving is joyful. There's no complaining. There's no murmuring. You're not looking at someone else's walk. You're looking to the Lord and serving with a pure heart. To me, this is a beautiful description of worship through service. Worship through service. Just looking at for the needs of others. Doing it because Jesus loved you so much that you want to help somebody else. You want to share that love of Jesus Christ with somebody else. Laying down your life. Lazarus, on the other hand, Lazarus, on the other hand, is just sitting there. And it's his presence that's worshiping the Lord. His presence alone is worshiping the Lord. Why? Because he's a witness of what the Lord has done. He's serving by being a witness. He's just sitting there. And everybody's like, 
Weren't you dead four days ago? He's sitting there. What a testimony of God's love. Here you have a guy sitting there who was literally dead for four days in a tomb, sitting there, eating with them, talking with them. Did he have to say much? No, because he was right there in front of them. They, they were going, what is this? Just the fact that he was there, come on. It's proof that Jesus is willing to restore that which was lost, that which was dead. Jesus resurrected his life, gave him new life, and Lazarus is here worshiping by being a testimony for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Sneak over there. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, Jesus, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And then if you look down to 11, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Lazarus was serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord through witnessing. He was there, his testimony, thank you. The word of his testimony, it says in Revelation. By the word of our testimony, it was his presence alone. We witness and testify that Jesus is our Lord, that we've committed our lives to him, we're worshiping him. Our lives are worshiping him. We're giving him glory and praise. Our testimony, people can see our changed life. People can see our lives reflect the new man. The new woman in Christ. Behold, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything is new. Our lives reflect that. Lazarus' life reflected a brand new life. He wasn't the same old Lazarus that he was. He was now alive. He was dead literally. He was dead spiritually. Excuse me, physically. We were dead spiritually. Ephesians says, but you he made alive. You he made alive. So it's your witness that you're not in the old life. Now in Jesus Christ, it's a witness of Christ's work in your life. Amen. It's a witness of him. So Jesus is so worthy of our worship that you have Martha worshiping him by serving him and Lazarus worshiping him by being a witness of his great love. But the star of the meal, besides Jesus, the star of the meal has to be Mary. Has to be Mary. Mary did something special that day. Mary did something special that day. Let's look at verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Oh, I love that. The fragrance of oil filled the house. It probably ran out of the house and down the streets of the town of Bethany. Mary did something special. She humbly came to Jesus' feet. She came to Jesus' feet. Once again, she was at the feet of Jesus. Mary loves being at the feet of Jesus. Mary loves and knows that there's no special, better special place than at the feet of Jesus. And through an act of pure love, through an act of pure devotion, she anoints Jesus with this very expensive oil, oil of spikenard. It's also called nard. It's an amber-colored essential oil from a flowering plant found in the mountains of Nepal, China, and India. Very expensive that day. Very expensive. And we're going to read in verse 5 that it cost 300 denarii just to buy that. About a year's wages. A year's wages Mary took that and gave it to Jesus. She gave it back to Jesus. You are a sure 
The book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.